I invite children to be uh, dismissed to junior church. Uh, You can make your way to junior church uh, at this time. I would like to emphasize or highlight a few of those words, though. Uh, Ken, can you put up, uh, lead me to the cross? Because I was just, I don't know about you, looking for a remote control. Nope. Oh, well. Megan, where's the remote? What'd you do with that? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's okay. Cassandra hit it. It's like my brother used to hide the paddle from my dad. And uh, anyways, I, you know, I just want to emphasize this. I don't know if we've done this song or we haven't recently. These words are just amazing as we look at them. Uh, You know, redemption's hill where your blood was spilled from my ransom. Everything I once held dear, I count it all as loss. You know, that's from the Bible. That's Galatians, actually, chapter two. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. We can say this in our devotions. We can pray this. Oh, Lord God, may this be true in us. That you lead me. You lead me to you. Lord, I belong to you. And some of the songs, some of the songs we, we, we might be introducing, you may not know. You may not know some old hymns that we might introduce, but you can always meditate and focus on the words because that's really our focus anyways. We're using the words to glorify God. We're using the words to worship God. I pray we're doing that. Oh, lead me to the cross. You were as I tempted and tried human. The word became flesh, it bore my sin and death. Now you're risen. Everything I once held dear, I counted all as loss. Is that looking for one, real, one part that really stood out to me? To your heart, to your heart. Lead me to your heart. Lead me to your heart. That just gripped me as we were singing it. That, you know, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And it's like a, a magnet pulling us to the Lord. Or like, you know, if you notice plants and flowers, they, they grow towards the sun. And a Christian is yearning, drawn towards the Lord. We're drawn towards the Lord. We're drawn to the heart of the Lord. Lead me to the cross. What powerful words. And also, of course, the song that we sang it right after that too. Thank you very much, Ken. I just wanted to test you back there. You're on it. Thank you so much, Ken. And my thanks always to the worship team as well. We're gonna be going to Acts chapter one, starting at verse 12 here in just a moment. Acts chapter one, starting at verse 12. I heard a story this past week of, of a scientist. And, and of course, I, I value science and scientists. So this is just a joke. Don't take it like I don't. But the scientist uh, thought and told the Lord, we don't really need you anymore. You know, we can make clones now. We can do so much through science. We, we don't really need you anymore. And the scientist told the Lord that. And the Lord said, okay, that's fine. Let's have a man-making contest. I'll make a man and you make a man. And, 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 and let's see who does a better job. And, and the Lord said, the only, the only rule is, the only requirement is you have to use dirt. And the scientist said, okay, okay, we can do that. And God said to the scientist, you go first, you go first. And the scientist said, okay. So he gets down on his hands and knees and starts to scoop up some dirt. And the Lord said, wait, 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 wait. You get your own dirt. <laughs> It all belongs to the Lord, right? Everything belongs to the Lord. Going back to the atoms and molecules, it all belongs to the Lord. 
Look, we're going to look today at Matthias replacing Judas and, and how the Lord provided, the Lord provided in his providential plan, provided for the church. Do we ever get stuck? You know, there's a popular uh, preacher and writer. His name's Tony Evans. Some of you have probably heard him. He's a popular black preacher from down in Texas. Uh, spoke, and he spoke of being on an elevator in a high-rise building. High-rise building. He said he'd never been particularly comfortable in these elevators. There was something about riding up and down a little box several hundred feet off the ground that has never sat well with him. Uh, he worried that something would go wrong. And one day, something did go wrong. He's going up in the elevator. The car he was riding in got stuck in between floors, way up in the higher floors. He noted that some people in the car became frantic. They began to beat on the door, hoping to get someone's attention. Others began to yell in the hopes that their voices would get someone on the surrounding floors to come to their aid. But nobody heard their noise or their cries. Then Evans quietly made his way to the front of the car, opened a little door in the wall, and pulled out a telephone. Immediately, he was connected with someone on the outside. He didn't need to beat on the wall to get their attention. He didn't need to speak loudly in the phone to receive their help. He could have whispered and they would have heard him. Evan said that in this world, we are going to get stuck in places we aren't comfortable with. Some people begin to beat against the walls. Others cry out in dismay. But the person who trusts in the power of confident prayer knows that there's someone on the other end who hears their call and comes to their aid. In today's sermon, we're going to look at a time when the disciples needed to make a decision. How did they make this decision? We're about to find out, but one thing they do is they seek the Lord. They go to the Lord. They go to prayer. They go to the Lord. Like Tony Evans picked up the phone in that elevator and got help, the disciples go to the Lord when they're stuck. Let's look at the passage. I'm going to read this entire passage. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Acts 1, verses 12 through 26. It says, then they, which is the disciples, this is after Jesus ascended. Last week we talked about Jesus ascending. This is after Jesus ascended into heaven, but it is before the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers... The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem... 
so that the field was called in their own language Alkadema, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Josephus called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 disciples, and thus makes it 12 again. So we see right here, they are leaving the place where Jesus ascended, and there's about 120 gathered, the disciples and others, and Peter stood, stood, stood up, and Peter speaks for the people. It used to be that Peter had foot and mouth disease. He always put his foot in his mouth, but right now he's doing the Lord's bidding, and next chapter, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon him, and, and he's really going to be used of God in, in, in the way that Jesus had chosen him. Peter speaks they pray, they cast lots, and they pray. They seek the Lord. And we're gonna see you know, what happens. Of course, we see Matthias. So notice that Jesus had told them to wait. Jesus had, had just now told the disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. That's the context that we looked at last week. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them and, and don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And that's gonna be in the next chapter. And it's going to be really cool. And as I shared two weeks ago, Acts has been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And there's an application there for us as well, that we don't want to do anything on our own. We want to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. It's like Jesus was telling them, you will mess it up if you do it on your own. I've seen, I've seen how you work on your own and you're not too good at it. You're not good fishing. Every time Jesus encountered them and they were fishing, they hadn't caught any fish. Jesus would say, cast a nest on the other side. They would catch fish. Jesus, Jesus always you know, caught them trying to make a mess of themselves on their own. Jesus is saying, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And that's what Jesus had told them here. So they leave the Mount of Olives. They go back to Jerusalem. The Bible says they go about a Sabbath day journey. And we think, what? A Sabbath day journey was about three-fourths of a mile. It was what the rabbis decided a person would be allowed to walk on the Sabbath. They could walk three-fourths of a mile on the Sabbath. That's a Sabbath journey. They arrived back in Jerusalem. And they went upstairs to, to the room they were staying in. Some may think this is the upper room where they ate the Passover meal with Jesus, and that is possible, but it's not likely. It was my first thought, but it was likely another room available in Jerusalem. In the ancient world, the larger rooms were on the second and third floors. And this was because the smaller rooms would have more walls, which helped support the next floor. On the third floor, they could eat, host meals, and even have guests. They could also use these rooms to charge for the guests. And this is no different. They're in the upper room. Second, third floor, a big enough room to accommodate 120 people, though they probably didn't like space like we do. It, it might have been a little crowded. And all the disciples are there. Jesus' mother Mary's there. Jesus' siblings seem to be there. And now we get into the next part. 
what happened to Judas? Verses 15 through 19 tell us about Judas. Verse 15 lets us know there were 120 people there, as I mentioned. Peter speaks up. Peter's often the spokesperson in the Acts. And and this is, Peter is especially the spokesperson in the first several chapters of Acts. Paul comes on the scene in Acts chapter eight and Acts chapter nine. And then it starts switching to the Apostle Paul. But the first eight or nine or 10 chapters, large about Peter. So Peter is oftentimes a spokesperson. Peter addresses him as brothers, uh, though this would include women. It could have been brothers and sisters as well. And Peter speaks. What's interesting here, this address of Peter is the first of some 23 or 24 speeches that Luke reported in the book of Acts. Acts is just full of speeches and sermons, which Luke is recording. About one-third of the content of Acts is speeches. To an extent, of course, all the speeches in Acts are generally paraphrases. They're not word-for-word exact. If you look up Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, it's recording a speech or a message that the apostle Paul has given, and a young man named Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window, and dies. So obviously, it was a fairly long message or Paul was pretty boring. I think it was a long message. I don't think Paul was boring. And so most of the messages were, were much, much longer than is recorded in scripture. I shared two weeks ago that generally it costs a lot of money to write and put things on scrolls back then. You had to unroll the scroll. You could only write on one side. So they would have to summarize things. And that's not, that's not unknown of in extra biblical resources. Josephus, a Jewish historian, also recorded many speeches in his histories, but he clearly put them in his own words. One example is Herod the Great's speech to the Jews, encouraging them to defend themselves against the attacking Arabians. The same speech appears in both the antiquities of the Jews and the wars of the Jews, but the content is somewhat different because Josephus, the historian, is summarizing the speech. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, Luke, the inspired writing, is summarizing what the apostle Peter and later the apostle Paul shares. He's summarizing it. Now, the Holy Spirit is also inspiring him throughout the whole time. So Peter talks about a scripture being fulfilled regarding Judas. Psalm 41.9 is one of the Psalm references that has to do with being betrayed by one whom you trust. And Jesus was betrayed by the one whom he trusted, which was Judas. The next couple of verses simply share what happened to Judas. It's a somewhat gruesome passage, but he bought a field, or actually the money he used to betray Jesus was used to buy a field, and he burst open in the field. I like what one source shares. It says, though Judas himself did not personally buy a field, he did so indirectly. The priest used the betrayal money Judas flung into the temple to make this purchase in Judas's name. And you can see that in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10. The account of Judas' violent end in Acts 1.18 seems to contradict Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, which starkly says he hanged himself. One explanation is that Judas, that Judas' intestines quickly became swollen and distended after he hanged himself. So he burst open. Another explanation, more, profit, uh, more probable, is that Judas hanged himself over a cliff and the rope or branch of the tree he was using broke. 
When he fell to the rocks below, he burst open. So though these appear like contradictions, they're not contradictions. As you dig in a little more, we can easily explain the two passages and how they fit together. And as we get to verse 20, it's a quote from Psalm 69, verse 25, 1098. What we need to know there is that the speeches and the sermons in the book of Acts are filled with Old Testament references. The apostles loved the word of God. They loved the word of God. They could not speak. They could not share. They could not pray without praying and speaking and sharing the Bible. They loved the word of God. And that is a powerful application for us. How much do we love the word of God? It's also a proof of the authenticity of the scriptures. In verses 21 through 26, we see the disciples' response. The disciples make the decision to replace Judas. Notice verse 23 says that they need a witness. It was critical that they replace Judas with someone who had, witnesses, who had, who had witnessed Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Witnesses were important in the ancient world. Witnesses are important now. And so they needed, Jesus chose 12, right? Jesus chose, chose 12 and they wanted, they thought, they believed, they needed a 12th witness of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. A 12th apostle. And the 12th apostle had to be somebody who was a witness. Not somebody who was, you know, in the, and from another part of the world or something like that. Somebody who had witnessed Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. A personal witness, Verses 24 and 25 are composed with their prayer. Notice their prayer, the humility in their prayer. They prayed for the decision. They give credit to God's omniscience. Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Are we giving credit to God's omniscience when we pray? Are we giving credit to God's omniscience throughout our day-to-day life? They appeal to God as the one who is chosen. They want this person to occupy the ministry and the apostleship. And then verse 25, they drew lots. The lot fell to Matthias. By the way, what's important to note, this is the last time they draw lots after the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. You never find them drawing lots after the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is then with them and the Holy Spirit is guiding them and leading them. I love this little quote. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I, throw out a bo- if I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. When we pray, are we surrendering to the will of God? Are we submitting to the will of God? That's what the apostles are doing. They're seeking the Lord's will. They're not saying, hey, Lord, we got these different guys. We'd really want it to be this one. Hey, can you make it this one? No, they're surrendering to the Lord. Hey, Lord, you know the thoughts. You know the attitudes of all men. You know what's going on. You know what we're thinking. You make this lot fall on the right person. And it was Matthias. Some applications. By the way, some people look at this and they, we, don't, we don't see much about Matthias in the rest of the New Testament. They think, ah, oh, the disciples made a mistake. It doesn't seem to be that way, really. Uh, It does at first, but remember, the apostle Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. It seems as though Matthias was really chosen by the Lord as an apostle to join them as an apostle to especially the Jewish people. And there's more that could be shared about that, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. You know, one thing I want to share about this as we go to applications is... 
God is providing for his church. God's church will never go out of business. Amen? God always preserves a remnant. God is always, God is providing for the church right now in 21st century America. Even right now, God is doing amazing things. God is doing new things. God is at work. God always provides for the church. Right now, the Holy Spirit had come upon them yet. They lost an apostle through Judas and betraying. And God provided. In the next chapter, we see how God provides in remarkable other ways. Businesses go out of business. Many of you have seen businesses go out of business. I was driving by Chuck E. Cheese's, and, uh, and I've only been there like twice in the last 20-some years. And, uh, but we're driving by, and Megan reminds me of a joke that the comedian Nate Bergatsky shares about, about Chuck E. Cheese's. And he said something like, it's, it's, it's hilarious, actually. He says, you can go there, uh, Chuck E. Cheese's. He says, they had COVID in 84. <laughs> so there it is, yeah. It can't even survive there. Now, he's just making that up, of course. He's a comedian. He says, Chuck E. Cheese is rough. He says, I don't know if you've been there in a while. They look like they're trying to go out of business, and they can't. They filed for bankruptcy, and they're still open. They call Blockbuster. This is the funny part to me. They call Blockbuster, and they're like, how do you get out? We want out. You know, like Blockbuster goes out of business. How do you get, how do we get out? We want out. And he goes on about, you know, Chuck E. Cheese's. And the church never is going to go out of business. I don't know if Chuck E. Cheese will. I don't know if they really filed for bankruptcy. I don't know if they really, he says they, he, they took, put the pizza that was left over and they got caught putting it back on the buffet or something. I don't know if they really did that. Businesses go out of business. I think Sears went out of business, right? My dad trusted Sears like nothing else. But Sears probably put a lot of small town hardware stores out of business before too. Businesses might go out of business. The gospel will never go out of business. The church is never, ever going to go out of business. God is in charge of the church. And we see God providing for the church right here in the early parts of Acts. You know, it would be easy for a bystander right during that time period to think, well... Jesus ascended to heaven. We don't know what to do now. We're just gonna, let's see if they make it. They're not gonna make it. They're just 12 people, 120 on a good day in the upper room. But God is providing. And we're gonna get to the next chapter next week and we're gonna see how the Lord continues to provide and expand and spread the gospel so that by the 28th chapter of this book of Acts, it's spread across the known world. Paul's in Rome. Uh, the gospel is spreading. Let's make some more applications. And so that first application, be encouraged. The Lord is in charge. Last year in February, there was an amazing revival at Asbury University. It was talked about for like two weeks. Amazing revival. God is at work. And that was certainly in a younger generation. God is at work. We look on things in this world and we think, uh, God's not at work. God is at work. In the 1700s, we faced, as a culture, England and the colonies, the first great awakening. God was at work. The gospel spread. In the 1800s, we had what's called the second great awakening. God is at work. You know that through the second great awakening, a lot of the writers and speakers came about, and, and that led to, actually, um, 
they're getting rid of slavery, especially in England. A lot of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening uh, led to getting rid of slavery in Egypt, in e- England, in England. That was a major mistake. In England. In fact, I was just reading something that Tim Keller had shared in a sermon some uh, 15 or 16 years ago about how it's interesting. They repealed slavery. They got rid of slavery. They outlawed slavery, even though it made them lose money. Why did they do that? Because the gospel had spread and the gospel impacted lives. And when the gospel impacted lives, they didn't care about the money. They cared about what was right and wrong because the Holy Spirit changes us. That was the second great awakening. And certainly in the 1950s, uh, uh, the, the country had massive evangelism. Do you know about the Billy Graham rallies and things like that? God is at work. The gospel is not going out of business. Be encouraged. We see God providing right here in Acts chapter one for the gospel. And that's gonna continue through the rest of the book of Acts. Walk by the Holy Spirit, trust in the Lord, worship the Lord, be encouraged. As we break down this passage, we see verse 14 says that they all join together constantly in prayer. You know, we must also be in prayer with the community of the church. Are we praying together as a church? Are you meeting with Christian brothers and sisters and praying together? Are you praying with your family? You know that studies are amazingly high, that spouses that pray together stay together. Like it's amazing the studies that show that if you pray with your spouse before going to bed at night or at different times during the night, your marriage is gonna be way more healthy. Same thing with your family. And, and, and especially true also of the church family. We need to be praying together. We must be in prayer and unity with the community as well. They're not just praying, they are praying in unity. Verses 16 and verse 20 affirm the strong authority of scripture. We must always affirm the authority of the Bible. In verse 20, they consider it important that one of them is a witness. We are also a witness of what Jesus has done in our lives. And we must take that seriously. Are you you a witness of of what Jesus is doing in your life? Are you talking about that? We talk about things we're excited about, right? We were at Mercedes basketball game last week. We're at Pulling Eye Methodist. She's playing for Upward. Actually, I think this was two weeks ago. And uh, we saw a, a mom who we knew because Mercedes was on a soccer team in Poland with, with this mom's daughter. And this mom said, hey, I see you, I see you running in, in, in Poland Manor. And all she had to do is say running and an hour later, our conversation, no, I'm just kidding. You know, you give me time about running. I love time about running right now. I'm gonna talk your ear off. We talk about things that we are excited about. If you like working on cars, you're a car guy, you bring up some type of 67 Chevy or something, you're gonna talk about it. You talk about things that you're excited about. You like football, something's gonna come up. You're gonna talk about football or baseball or basketball. Do we, are we excited about the gospel? Are we excited about the gospel? Can we, can we, are we excited about what God is doing in our lives? Can we talk about that? Can we share about that? Yeah. They talk about that. They, they, are, they are sharing about it. They're excited about it. That's their testimony. They needed somebody else who was a witness. You know, in verse 24, the disciples affirm that God knows everyone's heart and they seek his guidance. We also must always seek his guidance, knowing he knows all our heart and others. Do you realize when we pray, we can have confidence that we're praying to the Lord who knows everyone. The Lord's not taken by surprise. Sometimes we, we think that way. He's not taken by surprise. He knows the hearts of all people. You're praying about a situation with a boss or with a family member or with a grandchild. God's already there. He already knows what's going on. You can have confidence when you're praying. Amen. We must also seek and depend upon the Lord for our everyday needs like they did. The overall theme is still seeking God for the witness of the gospel. We must also seek God for the witness of the gospel. 
It's the beginning of the year. I made this challenge last year, mid-year. I'm gonna make it again. I encourage you, go home, write in your bulletin, stick it in your refrigerator, put it in your phone, put it somewhere you're gonna see it, some names of people that you know who do not know the Lord and pray for them daily. And then take it a step further and pray daily. Lord, give me an opportunity today to talk to them about the gospel. And it might just be planting a seed. Don't consider yourself a failure if they don't get saved right then and there. Sometimes it takes many times, I think almost all the time, many successive conversations for them to come to know the Lord. If it's important to us, we care. And maybe you need to call them up or text them and say, hey, can we eat for breakfast? I have something really, really, really important. It's on my heart. I want to talk to you about it. It's the gospel. When you get stuck, what do you do? The disciples prayed and they asked the Lord to help them out of this. And I encourage you to do so as well. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, it is easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services, just as it's easy to think the state has a lot of different objects, military, political, economic, and whatnot. But in a way, things are much simpler than that. The state exists simply to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire, a couple of friends having a game of darts in a pub, a man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That is what the state is there for. And unless they're helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are simply a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. This is still C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful you know whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose than for God to draw men and women to himself and make them little Christ. That's what God's doing there in Acts chapter one. He's setting it up for Pentecost. And that's what he's still doing right now. Let's pray right now. Dearly Father, we close out this sermon. And I pray, Lord God, that we are convicted Convicted and encouraged that you're at work. You're at work, Lord God. You're not done. You're not done. The church is not going bankrupt at all. You are at work in a thousand, billion, million, trillion ways that we do not even know. You are at work spreading the gospel, building your church. Encourage us with that. But also, Lord God, apply these truths that you want to use us. You want to use us. You want to use us to continue to share the gospel. And as, as, as we want to be used of you, may we humbly come before you, recognizing your omniscience. You know everything. You know everything. And we can trust in you. So, Lord God, as we go into this next song, King of My Heart, I pray, Lord God, that you would apply the message to us. If there's any here gathered who's living in sin, who is not in fellowship with you, who is, who is strayed from you, maybe they need to recommit, rededicate their life to you. If there's any here who have never committed their life to you, 
may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day to believe that you died on the cross for their sins and rose again and receive you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before the closing song, I'm gonna invite the uh, prayer workers, the prayer altar prayers to come up. And we're going to play the song, King of My Heart. And it's just a song of uh, invitation to prayer. So come forward. If, if, any, if God has ate anything on your heart and you would like us to pray with you, come forward. We just love to pray with you. If you wanna come forward, but you just wanna pray by yourself, that's okay too. It's a privilege to pray. It's a privilege to pray with you. Go ahead and play this song, Billy.